Welcome to Education Matters, presented by the Public School Forum of North Carolina. I'm your host, Mary Ann Wolf. It is election season, and North Carolina primaries are happening right now. Today, we're joined by some education and election experts to discuss which education issues are on the ballot this year and what the outcomes could mean for communities across the state. We are so pleased today to be joined by Dr. Christopher Cooper, a political science and public affairs professor at Western Carolina University, Adrian Kelly, the co-executive director of Democracy NC, and Liz Schlemmer, an education reporter at WUNC. Welcome, everyone. We are so pleased to be joined by Dr. Christopher Cooper, political science and public affairs professor at Western Carolina University. Welcome. Thanks so much for having me. Chris, we'd love to jump right in and ask you to explain the dynamics of state, local, and federal policymaking in education and how our election results will influence the balance of power but among all these levels of government. Yeah, so you can start with the easy ones. That's good. So, uh, exactly. <laughs> no, I think in, look, in some ways, the amount of attention each level of government gets we should be the amount of power they have actually works in inverse in terms of education, right? So certainly we pay the most attention to uh, to federal offices, to the president, to Congress, to the U.S. Senate, then sort of to state offices and then to local offices. And when it comes to education policy and the implementation of education policy, um, the power is really reversed, right? I mean, it's really the local government that has the most power, then the state government, and then the federal government. So the bad news is we have this information asymmetry and the kinds of messages we're receiving and where the power is. The good news, I think, though, for the voter is those local elections are easier to influence. Quite like simply speaking, your vote matters more in a very local election with fewer voters than it does in a federal election where you've got tens of millions of voters spread throughout the entire country. So there's some good news and some bad news. But if I have sort of one message, it would be the closer to home, the more you should be paying attention. And what do you think are some of the most pressing education issues for this election? I mean, certainly school funding, um, which is mostly uh, a state uh, sort of issue, but counties give county supplements for teachers that are incredibly important for recruiting or not recruiting uh, the best and brightest. I think school choice, regardless of where you sit on either side of that issue, is going to be critical. And I think the Democrats and Republicans have very, very different ideas about choice, about vouchers, about how that money should be used, about whether money should follow in sort of very general senses, students or systems. Right. All of that really matters. And I think all of that is playing out in real time right before our eyes. We've, of course, got state policies that came down on what some folks would call change, transgender rights, what other people would call parents' bill of rights. You can make up your mind which frame, but regardless of which frame you uh, ascribe to, you need to be paying attention to those issues. They they really do matter. Um, somebody with an eight-year-old and a 10-year-old in public school systems in rural North Carolina, I know I'm paying attention to those issues too, not just as a political scientist, but as a voter and as a citizen. And do you mind saying just a little bit more about what the state level um, elections do? Because I really appreciate how you broke that down and that inverse. So what what does the state get to decide? So again, county supplements can matter for teacher pay, but in terms of 
big swath changes the state government. And when we say state government, let's be honest, we're really talking about the General Assembly, right? They're the ones who are able to pass, for example, the Parents' Bill of Rights, which some folks love, some folks hate, but that came out of our General Assembly. And so for folks who spend your time thinking about other things, this is 170 people spread across two chambers. The House has 120, the Senate has 50, and they're the ones that have the lion's share of the power in terms of state government policy making. That said, of course, we do have um, a cabinet or excuse me, a council of state level education office that is, of course, up for re-election this cycle, too. So pay attention to the executive branch. But really, if I could get people to kind of turn their attention away from federal a little bit towards state and local and towards these key general assembly elections that are really going to determine the policymaking that's going to eventually trickle down to those of us with kids in schools or to the kids themselves. And one thing we're doing at the Public School Forum is actually conducting a survey of all candidates on a set of key questions, and we'll provide that information out. But I'm wondering if people want to learn more about what these potential representatives or potential uh, senators will do, where else can they look? I would say, as far as you're exercising your own vote, your best bet is to go to the North Carolina State Board of Elections, figure out which state legislative district you're in. That may seem obvious, but it changes what seems like weekly here in North Carolina, at the very least annually. Um, so find out where you are, find out who your representative is, and just do a little bit of research yourself from there. If you're trying to influence policy more generally, let's say you've got a $200 check to write, or let's say you've got a little bit of time to donate and you don't care so much if it's in your district, um, I think that's where it's really just going to take some time, spend some some effort trying to figure out who's in your district, trying to figure in your area, trying to figure out who takes what issues. It's it's a lot of educating. And again, unfortunately, the media in our state and in every state tends to be focused at the federal level. So you got to do some more work to exercise your vote where it really matters. And I know we're in the primary election season right now. What is the significance of participating in primary elections versus the general election? And I know I'm hoping your answer will be and, not versus. <laughs> Absolutely, it's and. Um, look, I hope folks vote in both. So in terms of the primaries, I can start here with some bad news and then give you maybe a little bit of good news. Um, the bad news is for uh, districts, for district-based elections. So state house, state senate, a lot of our district-based local offices, the general election is decided almost before we even take a vote, right? Because these districts, for a variety of reasons, lean so far left or so far right, so far red or so far blue, that the opposing party just don't win. So where does your vote matter the most in these primaries and figuring out who actually gets to the general election. So if you look at, for example, Lieutenant Governor on the Republican side, there's 11 folks running for office. It's critical to whittle down the field to pay attention to these primary elections. And in North Carolina, if you are watching this, the odds are that you are an unaffiliated voter because that is the largest group of voters in our state. And if you are unaffiliated, that means you get to choose which party's primary you want to vote in. So make sure you know that you get to exercise that choice. And when you go to take the ballot, my only real advice is don't take the nonpartisan one. It sounds good, but that's the one that's going to limit the number of offices you get to vote in. 
decide if you want the Democratic ballot or the Republican ballot and then or the Libertarian ballot um, and then move from there. And as we look right now in North Carolina, are there any particular races you are paying particular attention to or that others should be watching this election season? In terms of the primary, um, I'm certainly in terms of the congressional districts, again, sort of running counter to what I just said we should do, right? Pay attention to local and state. But um, the 13th uh, congressional district on the Republican side, that's kind of just sort of south of Wake County in that area. Uh, the 6th district, which is sort of centered around the Greensboro area. Those are two key ones on the Republican side. The 10th district where Patrick McHenry is retiring is another key one. And then the first district in the northeastern part of the state is on the Republican side is also key. So why am I saying so many Republican primaries at the congressional level? The reason is that our new redistricting map basically made it really difficult for Democrats to win any of those districts I just named, except for the first. So the action is in the primary there. The lieutenant governor's race, which I mentioned before on the Republican side, also on the Democratic side, but particularly the Republican side is one to watch. And also just to throw in a little bit more wonkery, but wonkery that matters. We have a 30% runoff threshold in North Carolina. What that means is that it's not enough to get the most votes. You have to get the most votes and get more than 30% of the total vote. If you don't, you go to a runoff, or as we call it here, a second primary. So it's very possible, some might argue likely, that in terms of the lieutenant governor's race on the Republican side, if you cast a vote this cycle, you might need to cast yet another vote for the primary just a couple of months down the line. Well, thank you so much, Chris, for all of your insights. And wonkery is is good in this situation, isn't it? So we're delighted to have you and we'll love to have you back again sometime. Absolutely. Thanks for the invitation. Thank you so much for joining us. After the break, we'll be joined by Adrian Kelly, co-executive director of Democracy NC, and Liz Schlemmer, education reporter at WUNC. Education Matters is brought to you each week in part by Participate Learning, uniting our world through global learning. We are so pleased today to be joined by Adrian Kelly, the co-executive director of Democracy NC, and also by Liz Schlemmer, education reporter for WUNC. Welcome to both of you. Thank you. Thanks for having us. We know that we are in election season, and so we are so pleased that we're able to talk about the upcoming elections with both of you. We'd love to start just with a big question of what is the impact that the North Carolina General Assembly election has on education policy in North Carolina? And I'll start with you, Liz. Well, I think it's huge. You know, most education law originates from our state legislature. So they write a lot of policy law. If you think about things like the Parents' Bill of Rights that came out last year, but also they, they have the largest input on school funding. Um, in North Carolina, most school funding actually comes from the state, whereas in other states, sometimes it's more county-led. Um, and, you know, the biggest expense that schools have is their school employee salaries. And um, a teacher pay, most of it comes from the state with a smaller um, county supplement on top of it. Thank you. Adrian, what is your perspective here? Yeah, well, I would uh, remind us that every level of government has an impact on education policy in North Carolina, from the state Supreme Court, certainly the NCGA, K-12 
county commissioners and boards of education all play a role, whether through policy, how they set their priorities, and through funding. When the NCGA increases public school funding by a mere 2%, as they did in the most recent budget, especially when we've seen high inflation in recent years, teacher pay and school operations are really hampered. And as a result, we have teacher vacancies, overcrowded classrooms, and poor test scores. So our children are really falling behind. And I wonder, um, Adrian, if you can talk a little bit about how young voters are seeing this election. Well, we certainly um, have to focus on young voters. This is a demographic that is a growing demographic. And we see, um, unfortunately, we see some apathy. It's sort of a mixed bag, an apathy of voters who say, my vote doesn't count. And then we also see a number of young people who are really energized and activated. They tend to be have particular concerns. For example, climate is a concern for many young voters. And I think what we have to do is remind them that their votes absolutely do matter. I'd also like to remind folks that um, North Carolina has 100 counties and many, many cities, <clears throat> excuse me, cities and towns throughout the state. It's not unusual that those smaller city elections are decided by a handful of votes, sometimes one vote. So I think we have to impress that upon young people that their vote, their one vote, really, really does matter and get them involved at the local level. I wonder if you can just help us step back for a minute and talk about what the General Assembly funds, what the county commissioners fund, and kind of how that flows. So just a little more big picture. Yeah, I think that's a really natural assumption to think that your school board just fully sets the budget. But um, most school funding comes from the state. I mean, we're talking mostly about school employee salaries when we're talking about school funding. Um, and so if, if you if you take a beginning teacher, right, $39,000 of their pay comes from the state, and then somewhere between zero and 8,000, at least that's what it was a couple of years ago. I'm not sure what it is now. Between zero and $8,000 comes from their county. Um, so that's where you get a lot of, um, you know, variability between how much different counties have to fund their schools. Um, I think that's just really important to understand that it was like school boards don't have the power of the purse when it comes to um, how they're funding schools. They they have to work with the funds that they're given. That's really helpful. I appreciate it. I know when I was on the school board, even with being in education for so long, I still kept learning um, some of those nuances. And so just appreciate both of you being willing to share, like not only the impact of the election that's coming up, but also how these things work and happen in North Carolina. What do you think we'll see in the upcoming election from the trend for some school boards to become partisan school board elections. Adrian? That um, I think is a concern. I think it frankly further divides us. When people focus on a candidate's label instead of doing their homework on the person's values, on their record, um, we become more and more polarized. We saw this, we see this with um, the justices. Judge, judge elections used to be nonpartisan and are now partisan. And we would really benefit from removing these labels um, and frankly, also implementing campaign finance report, <laughs> reform so candidates can have a more level playing field. The other thing that we know is something for people to think about is the new voter ID law and how it might affect their plan to vote. And so Adrian, can you tell us a little bit about that? 
there are so many changes to be aware of. Um, the voter ID law is a photo ID law, so it's a matter of matching a photo ID with your likeness when you go to vote. And of course, many people can use their current driver's license or passport. Um, and there are a number of other IDs that are uh, eligible, but there are also many things that do not pass muster in terms of ID. I would suggest that people go to the website gotidnc.org, G-O-T-I-D-N-C.org, to make sure that they have a valid ID. The other thing I would mention is that many people um, vote by mail as a preference, and the laws around the mail-in voting have changed as well. So you need to be aware of that. If you haven't gotten your mail-in ballot yet, I encourage you to do it right away. There's no longer a grace period after the end of election day. It used to be a three-day grace period. So as long as your mail-in ballot was postmarked uh, by election day, you know you had three more days for it to arrive in the mail. We all know stories about the mail being very slow. So you've got to get that in early. And there are additional hurdles in terms of providing your ID when you're voting by mail as well. So the point is do it early get the information. You can go on the State Board of Elections website to get all the details about what the rules are for voting. Thank you so much, Adrian. And as we wrap up our time here, I'd love to hear from both of you with the primary just around the corner and then the election. What recommendations do you have for voters? First of all, go to the North Carolina Board of Elections. Um, you can look up your, you know, you can do a voter search and you can see who's on your ballot. So just starting there, making sure that you know all the races that are going to be on your ballot and all the candidates. Um, and I think the League of Women Voters is a really great resource in a lot of counties, too. Sometimes they hold candidate forums. Um, sometimes I go on YouTube and I look for candidate forums um, in a particular county. Mm. You could look up maybe the school board race in your county and you might find candidate forums there. Um, I don't know, Adrian, I'm sure you have a lot more to add. <laughs> yeah, well, very similar, though. And I'll tell you exactly what, what I do. Um, go to ncvoter.org. You can look up and print your ballot or you can take a picture of your ballot. So then you know specifically what offices are up for election in your particular precinct. A lot of people are running, but you can't vote for all of them. So know the ones that pertain to you. And as you said, if there are forums, I encourage people to go to those, look for websites by the candidates, vote early. I can't emphasize that enough that you should go ahead and vote early. And we encourage people to start at the bottom of the ballot that's where your most local elections are, and then work your way up. Also, if you have any questions about the voting process, you can call 888-OUR-VOTE, 888-687-8683, and they can answer questions for you in terms of what precinct you need to be at, you know, any kind of questions you have before the election and on the election days, uh, those folks can answer your questions. And there are also a, an abundance of resources at our website, democracync.org. So there are lots of resources out there. And I just encourage people to do their homework because your vote counts. And Adrian, one last question. Can you bring that sample ballot into the election booth with you? Great question. You can absolutely bring your sample ballot on paper or even on your cell phone. Uh, you just can't take pictures in the booth. But that's a good idea to do so you don't forget who, who you liked. Exactly. Thank you so much to both of you for joining us. After the break, the final word. 
It is once again an election year and the primaries are happening in North Carolina right now. While many people may view election season as just a time of exacerbated political divisiveness, I'd argue that it's actually a time of great opportunity. We often talk about the changes we'd like to see in our communities or what must be protected to maintain them, but elections give us a chance to act. State and local elections are pivotal moments in shaping the trajectory of numerous policies that impact our day-to-day -day lives, including education policies. From the allocation of school funding to decisions on teacher pay and school safety measures, the outcomes of these elections will be felt throughout the state's education system. Some of the largest impacts elections have on education relate to school funding. Under North Carolina's school finance system, it is the state's responsibility to fund instructional expenses such as personnel, while county governments are responsible for the cost of capital expenses such as buildings and maintenance. North Carolina is currently a bottom ranked 49th this year on school funding effort. That's the percentage of our GDP that we put towards education. And that won't change unless we elect decision makers at both the local and state levels who value and prioritize education as a public good essential to the continued progress of our communities. Prioritizing public education would allow us to invest in what matters and what research has proven makes a difference for kids. It would allow us to support and ensure that each child is able to reach their potential. It would allow us to pay our educators a more competitive wage, given right now one third of our teachers make below the livable wage and address the ongoing teacher vacancy issues our state has experienced as many teachers have been left with no option but to leave the profession. Prioritizing public education would also allow us to better address school safety and mental health issues which have plagued young people across the country by providing the resources necessary to create positive learning environments that allow students to thrive. The current North Carolina General Assembly has implemented policies including the expansion of the Opportunity Scholarships programs that diverts more public money from public education to private institutions across the state. These private schools, even when they receive public dollars, can deny access to students based on religion, identity, and academic achievement. $4.7 billion of public taxpayer money will go to private schools via vouchers with hardly any accountability over the next decade. These vouchers are now considered universal because the recently passed expansion allows any family, regardless of income, even families that make $500,000 a year, or whether their child has ever attended a North Carolina public schools to use taxpayer dollars to send their child to private schools. The Leandro case has now found multiple times that our state is not meeting its constitutional obligation to provide every child with a sound basic education. While the North Carolina Supreme Court November 2022 order required that the state pay for the school improvement plan known as the Comprehensive Remedial Plan, the General Assembly has not yet put that money forward to school districts, and the current North Carolina Supreme Court reopened this case and heard it just this week. Education is on the ballot this year, and you have the opportunity to ask important questions. Over the last couple of years, we have had billions of dollars in surplus that were not invested in education. At the state level, you can learn more about this year's candidates and where they stand on pressing education issues through the Public School Forum's 2024 North Carolina GA Candidate Survey at ncforum.org slash candidate survey. 
if your candidates have not completed the survey, we encourage you to reach out and remind them to do so. This selection is your opportunity to ask questions and ensure that the people you vote for at the local, state, and federal level align with your values and what you believe is important for your students, educators, schools, and community. Thank you for taking time with us to think and learn about education. That's all for today, and we'll see you next week.